This episode is brought to you by Marketing Directive. Marketing Directive is your digi marketing solution with a team of marketing specialists operating remotely to maximize your marketing levers and focus on your business objectives. Explore more at marketingdirective.co. Welcome to All Things Small Biz, a podcast to help you take the leap and run your own business from someone who has done it themselves and wants to share what they learnt with you. Hello and welcome to the All Things Small Biz podcast. My name is Sarah Hales, your host, and today we'll be talking about creating a business around your passion. As always, we'll have a chat with Brian, and then we'll bring in today's amazing guest, Kelly Tischler. I'm really excited about this one because Kel is someone I truly admire. But first, let's kick it off with Bri. How you going? Good, thanks, Sarah. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Very wet today. It is wet here in Mackay. We had over 240 millimetres last night in Mm. parts of Mackay. It brings out the real, the real good drivers. <laughs> they think it's a racetrack. As soon as it gets that nice glisten of water over the top of the bitchy, they just want to upper. Oh, God. Anyway, win of the week, you got any? Last year, I was condemned by the whole family because <laughs> I requested in the Secret Santa a gel blaster. <laughs> And the person who did most of the condemning went and bought himself one. So, now I can have one. All bets are off. (laughs) They'll be illegal in no time. (laughs) Have there been any business win the weeks? Yes. So, after um, after taking some uh, random photos of some crabs and stuff, we've had a couple of- We've reinvigorated the Crab Oz sales. Are you doing a blatant sell of Crab Oz? No, but we are talking about my passion- Okay. Or our passions. And one of my passions is being a North Queensland fisher person. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So, Opal Queen Kel. You want to have a chat to her today? I am. I am. So, uh, we talk about it a little bit, but in my other part of my life, I am into underground coal mining. So, I am a little bit of a mining nerd and opal mining is something that- I'm super, super interested in. Kel uh, first came in when we uh, we were watching Opal Hunters and she was a part of that, but um, then you got a chance to actually have a chat to her. Yeah, I have connected through, uh, with Kel um, through Meg, actually. So, Meg was episode three. Meg introduced me to Kel um, because I have some Opal jewellery in my collection and we have formed a real friendship because we have that mining nerd thing that we both share and- I was going with strong, independent ladies. Well, that too, but we're both, as Kel would say, rock lickers. Um, so <laughs> a bit different? It's a geological term. It's a thing. You're not a miner until you licked a rock. <laughs> I find myself doing it all the time, like I'm letting all my secrets out of the bag here, but if you really want to see, sometimes you don't have any water, you might need to lick them. Yeah, nice. Weird, I know. Well, I'm not going to go lick any- crabs or anything so <laughs> so today's topic your passion yes and west of the waves tell it tell us about west of the waves and how it's your passion well see like possibly a little bit controversial because i feel like i'm passionate about p- 
parts of my business. And of course, I love the clothes and I love the jewellery, but I wouldn't say that that is my actual passion. It's the designing of the clothes and the choosing of the material. I would say that I am more passionate about working on the business than I am about working in the business, if that makes sense, like the growth of the business and building the website and getting the business out there. They're the things that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. I know you think that's weird because we've actually talked about this before. Yeah, and we we have. I sort of understand a little bit more now, though, the passion for West of the Waves. So, you don't – you have the passion for the design and all that. For myself, when I talk about Crab Oz – Get on board, peep. Here we go again. I went into that because I wanted to fix something. I I didn't have – I couldn't find a shirt or a fishing shirt that was a nice crab shirt that had a crab on it. So, then I I thought, well, well, I can bloody do something like this. And then we we got onto a a company that would do some shirts and they sent some designs through and and, um, matched my ideas up with their drawings and and we made something. and then I was happy. Then I've got a crab shirt, so I didn't really, I didn't really take it much further. But um, the <laughs> the more I think about it, the 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 easier it becomes. So it, it's exciting. It, it's if you can if you can make something and and then call it your own, and then you can pass that on to other people, and they enjoy it as well. That's that's what I get out of it with my passion. Yeah, but you you're genuinely passionate about fishing and crabbing and going up the creek like i enjoy it like i'm happy to go and like go to the beach house and all of that sort of stuff but that i wouldn't say that that is my passion yeah you know some people are genuinely passionate about the clothes that they wear and you know the styles and that sort of thing and i mean i love my products but it's the creation of the products Mm -hmm. and the building of the business is where i'm yeah really passionate so is do do we think that the passion is something that you could be that you could see yourself doing without any any remorse or any any it's a it's a thing that gets you through each day. If you went and did something that you're passionate about, you wouldn't want to do anything else. Is is that what a passion is? You think? Well, I think so. I think it's something that doesn't feel like work, really. But the, mm. the, this is where another cabin does not feel like work. No, <laughs> this is where another point comes in, though. Is that I think that as a caution. That when you are building a business, there are going to be parts that you don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Paying the bills. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But I think that you've got to get that balance right where there is a part of it that you love and that you enjoy and that you, you're passionate about because then it doesn't feel as much like work because if you were working on a business and a product that you were in no way passionate about – you're just going to get burnt out. You're not going to enjoy it. It's going to feel like hard work and that's not a good recipe. Have you ever suffered from burnout? Uh, I don't think I have in my um, in my business west of the waves. Yeah. But like I definitely have in my engineering career. Yeah. Definitely. And like again, I love my work. I love what I've studied to do. But there are components of – that job when you're working for someone else particularly that you just actually have to get done or maybe it's the volume of work that you've got to get done or you have to work on a project. So, I enjoy working like at the coalface, like I like 
mining. I'm I'm very good at development mining. Not so in love with long wall, not so in love with conveyors, say, for example. So if I have to go onto one of those projects, which are key parts of mining, you know, they might be months long, that can start to feel like hard work. Mm. If somebody had a passion, what would be your tips to making that into a into a business? Well, you know, Sam, who's our editor and producer, um, he introduced me to a saying uh, from another podcast, which I don't know what the exact saying was, but essentially it was that um, every every hobby does not need to be a job mm-hmm. because I think that that is sort of like a bit of a dangerous um, thing that's happening in you society. You've got to have an outlet still. Yeah, everybody, it's a bit of a dangerous thing that's happening in society at the moment where people are trying to turn every little thing into a bit of a money-making scheme. So, you are still allowed to have a hobby or something that you really enjoy that you just do for fun. Mm -hmm. You don't have to turn it into a business. But if you find something that you love and you enjoy doing and you can really see a future with it, then I or by all means, turn it into a business. But sometimes I think too, the real creative people, they might need support in starting a business because their passion might be the creation. I've heard this from a couple of businesses and I won't name names, but particularly creative artists or um, people who are designing the designing and the creative element is the part that they love and they're amazing at. And then they're terrible bookkeepers or they're terrible at chasing people up for payment. So, if you know that you have a downfall, get support in the area that you know that you dislike because, you know, rather than set yourself up for failure by falling down in that area, make sure that you've got people around you that can help you with that element of the business. Yeah, that's what you need. You need support when you might have all the great ideas and and have it all in your head, but you might just need to get someone to help you extract it. Yeah, absolutely. And then keep you on the path. Mm. So, how did it feel when you got burnout? Oh, it doesn't feel good. I, how I know uh, for myself is um, I start avoiding something. Mm -hmm. I might make a phone call that's unnecessary that can wait until later or I might Google something or, you know, and all of a sudden an hour or two has gone and I have not even attempted to do the thing that I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, prioritize a rubbish task that could be done at any time Mm -hmm. ahead of what I need to do. And as soon as I identify that I am putting things off, I have to find a way to take some kind of action. Yeah, that is similar what happens to me, except I find that when I I feel like I'm getting towards that burnout stage, if I have a little win, it doesn't matter how big it is, but if I have a little win in the stuff that's that's causing it, I then get rejuvenated and I'm good again. Yeah. And then and then if I just break it down into little wins, it sort of sort of fixes itself. Yeah, definitely. And you work past it, and then it, then it, you're aware of that little burnout. But then you know you work something out to 
to get you through it through the next heavy load of work. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind is that you if you know where we were talking about the creative people before is that if you are suffering from burnout um, with an aspect of your business that you don't love, mm-hmm. be it bookkeeping just for the sake of it, that can actually like if you let that go and you don't get help with that, that can start to affect your creativity. Mm-hmm. So then you're not able to do your best in the part of the business that you love. So, I think I'm definitely not saying don't start a business um, about something that you're passionate about. I'm just saying these are things that you need to be be aware aware about. And when we get Kel in, in a minute to have a chat with her, she can tell you all of the reasons why it's amazing to start a business around something that you're passionate about. Yeah, and then even with the burnout, you just, you just got to set yourselves little things in place so that so that it doesn't happen, and that you've got your tools to to get past it. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right then. Well, it's over to you and Kel for your chat. Now, I have been so excited about this interview. I know I've spoke a little about Kel at the top of the podcast, but I just wanted to expand a little bit further. Kel's a daughter, a wife, a mother, a community-minded person, and she is the Opal Queen. She's a fourth-generation Opal miner from Lightning Ridge, and mining opals is her absolute passion. I'm just thrilled to have connected with Kel because I too share her love for all things mining. But Kel is living the dream as far as I'm concerned. She's an absolute inspiration. She's kind, she's knowledgeable, and she's generous with her time and knowledge. Kel, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. And could we maybe start by getting you to tell the listeners where you're based? Great. Well, thank you so much. That was a very flattering introduction. (laughs) I feel very privileged. So, um, yeah, thank you for having me here today, Sarah. Well, actually, I'm based in Lightning Ridge, which is in northwest New South Wales. If you were to drive to Sydney from Lightning Ridge, it's about a nine-hour drive and to drive to Brisbane's a little bit more. So we're basically in the middle of nowhere, about 60 k's from the Queensland border. That's awesome. You really are. When you say it like that, you really are a long way from anywhere. Oh, absolutely. I always say we live under a rock. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's pros and cons to living out yeah. here. But, um, you know, when things go wrong out here, you do realise how isolated yeah, you are. definitely. And, Kel, what yeah. age did you start mining? Well, I grew up on the opal fields. I was six weeks old when um, I first, uh, after mum had me, and took me back out to Glengarry to a field called Millionaire's Gully that my grandfather found with a few other, uh, like a syndicate, I suppose you'd call it. So I grew up as a kid having most of my holidays on the Glengarry Grow and Opal Fields, which is actually 80 kilometres west from yes. us. So I grew up in a um, what you call a camp, which is basically no running water, uh, no electricity and dirt floors, but had the best childhood a girl could ever dream for. I was just walking around, picking up rocks and chasing shiny things. So, yeah, loved it. Always was a stone licker from way back, (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) To run around and pick up all the shiny stuff and lick them. I just would love to do that. I am a... Uh, a rock picker upper, but we obviously don't have that beautiful opal <laughs> around here. But my dad was here just yesterday, I think, or the day before, and I said, Oh, have I ever shown you these two that I got? And he's like, Where did you get them? And I said, Oh, I picked them up at our property, and they're just two fossils. So one's, um, it's sort oh. of like a little shell 
situation and the other one is a fern. And I had said to my husband, no, that's it. I'm not picking up any more rocks. I'm sick of it. I've got cupboards full of bloody rocks. And then I picked up the two <laughs> best fossils I've ever picked up. Yeah. Wow. Well, we actually call you a rock yes. hound. So you've got a name <laughs> a now. Hound. You're a rock hound. Um, behind me in my in my um, uh, little cabinets here, I, as far as finding opals, I love finding opals, but my passion is uh, fossils because they're 100 million years old. And, and I don't think people can put a value or um, a worth on doing stuff like that. When you get back into nature and it's just you and a few rocks and a few trees, there's something very mm. cathartic about that. So I spend a lot of time when I'm dealing with my mm-hmm. creative, crazy brain that I just need to go and sit in nature and sit there and ask some really good questions without that constant noise of technology yeah. and kids and bless him, <laughs> husbands and all, all, all of the pressures that we have to try and keep this shit show together, yeah. as I like to call it. Everyone says, oh, you're in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, you've got bugger all, you haven't got shops and this and that. No. You don't miss it. And when you get out here and you find these things and you're the first person in 100 million years to find them, there's just something that goes through you and you think, yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. I'm, I'm meant to be living out here. And everyone goes, oh, there's, you know, the last couple of years we've had yeah. drought, which is horrendous. We've had drought and then not here, but around us we had bushfires, but then Australia itself had a lot of bushfires. Then we've had those bloody dust storms as a mother was, honestly, I just, it was rocking me in the corner, sucking Mm. my thumb. I was like, (laughs) I'm over this. Then we had flies and then we'll have, and not just a fly, we're talking plagues of flies, locusts. Now this year we've had the mice. I've never seen the mice so bad. So, of course, subsequently this week yes. I've seen six snakes and they are fat because they're all fed up on mice. So we've now got a <laughs> snake plague <laughs> and people go, oh, it would be so nice to live over over there and see the water and, you know, don't have to deal with it. But Definitely. I can deal with the mice before I could deal with the bloody snakes. Oh, yeah, well, it would be, but my brother got 175 in his bedroom in one night. And I was oh. like, leave, burn the bloody place down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's the yuck of where we live. But there's there's plenty of good. And I know in my heart that if you come out here, you'd be like, that's it. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's been calling to me for quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and as an environment, it's a beautiful environment to raise kids. And I'm not saying yeah. that all, all kids out here are going to be any better than any other child raised anywhere else but there's a freedom that kids have it's like you said it's that dirt it's the trees it's we call it ridge time everyone sort of cruises around on our own little time there's no schedules there's no deadlines and I think you can go from one extreme to the other but for kids it's like my kids go away to school and they just like there's nothing like home it's completely different yeah and that's how I feel about our cattle property as well is that sometimes when shit is getting a little bit crazy I just need to go home for a bit yeah you know I just need to go back there and get my bearings again and then I'm good to go yeah absolutely and Kel so mining opals is in your family yeah you said you were going out with your mum from when you were a little baby did you go into business with your parents or your grand 
grandfather or anything to start you off? No. Well, basically my younger brother had leukemia um, when he was very young. So I basically spent a lot of my time with my uncles. Yeah. I'm fourth generation, only female in my family. Wow. My uncles were basically bachelor, hairy men, miners. So I spent a lot of my time being drug around from the pub on the bikes back to down the mine that sort of stuff. When we're filming up at Gopal Hunters, they said it's like it's the last wild, wild west even now. So you go back nearly 50 years and I grew up out there with, um, you know, like you said, no mobile phones, but everyone was connected. If I was playing up, there'd be some old bugger down the road who would walk four miles to go and tell my dad or my uncles or if my mum was there that I'd been playing up. So it was like it was like a village would raise you sort of thing. It was a very small connected unit. So when I went into business, and I'll, it's funny, I, I don't even call it a business because yeah. it's my life, that makes sense. Yeah. I make all these things but I don't even sell them. Um, so it's sort of one of those funny things. When I mine and what we find, uh, we basically sell to wholesalers who then sell to another wholesaler who will then sell to a jeweller who will sell to a retail. So I've mm-hmm. always had a um, passion about putting it back to where you could buy direct from mine, very similar to paddock to plate, farm to fork, that sort of thing. Yes. But there's only so much time and energy in the day that we all have. So I just do what I do, do my lifestyle, and my lifestyle sort of is my business and my business is my lifestyle, if that makes sense. Yeah, amazing. Have you ever done anything else? Oh, yeah, well, I met a guy and became a rouseabout and then did about six months shearing. I'm one of these chicks. I was like, if the blokes can do it, so can I. And not only am I going to do it, I'm going to bust my ass to be better than you. Yeah, I'm hearing you. And I don't know where that comes from, I think, because Dad would always introduce to people and say, well, I've got four, four, four kids are all boys and the eldest one's, you know, the toughest of the lot, and that was me. So I was never treated as a as a child. I was never treated any differently. Like you know, I'd play with dolls if if there was a couple about. But I was never in that environment. It was like you can get on that shovel, you can drive that mm. truck. You've got two hands, two feet. What did Dad say? Um, two hands, two feet, and a heartbeat. We were actually farmers. My 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 dad and my grandfather were farmers from Gilgandra. Mm. And my wow. grandfather had this passion for um, finding things, so he started coming up to Lightning Ridge or out to Glengarry Grow and then go finding opal. And then eventually that passion took over and my dad and everybody would like, I don't want to do the farming. I want to go, like, he just said, no, we're not doing it. So they sold all the farms because Pop was in the war, um, of course. When he came back he was, you know, I, I don't know how it worked, but he was given some land or something or some money and he bought mm-hmm. the property down near down near Turawena on the back of the near the Warrenbungle Mountains. So we would do the dirt road trip up on the weekends. Um, all mm-hmm. holidays were always up here. Sometimes I wouldn't say I was an academic. I didn't go to school because I was too busy. Like I'd come up here and mum would be, you know, my, my brother was sick for 15 years so she had to relocate most of the time. So I was basically out there. I'd come up and I'd leave early and I'd get to go up and do a bit of cooking for everyone and whatever. And uh, I remember coming up here and I had to go back to school and I went bush. <laughs> Stop that. I'm not going where's, back. Where's, where's she gone? Where is she? 
was hiding behind Mullet Keeps so I didn't go back. I'd always dig my heels in. So I used to go around finding little chip jars of opal and I'd go up to the pub and I'd sell them and <laughs> that's what I'd live off while everybody <laughs> was oh very good. <laughs> and you met your husband out in the opal fields, didn't you? Yeah, well, pub slash opal fields. Yeah, here's Andy. Um, I was walking on the road one day and he said um, I was actually picking wildflowers as I did. I used to muck around and make the necklaces with the daisy chain. So I used to press them and was walking along them one day. And then uh, we were out at a miners' party and being the only woman out there, I rocked up up on my motorbike and he was like, oh, who's that? And that was it. And that was that. Yeah, so that's 29 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, poor bugger needs a medal. Everyone oh. calls him poor Paulie. <laughs> and, Kel, tell us what opals mean to you. Oh, gosh. Opals are just – it's really bizarre. I only had this question a few years back because it's just always been in my life. Mm. And when I had to explain it, it's like finding something when you're down there. And, you know, we always look at trying doing everything ethically and all those, you know, those big words, ethically mine, responsibly sourced, but – there's something when you're just digging through this white, bland dirt and then you get this sparkle and you look at it and you get to get it out and you hold it and it's like it's not even the value of it. It's this the sensation that you get when you're the first person to ever, ever see them. Mm. And then I bring them home so I'm an opal cutter as well. My grandfather taught me to cut when I was eight and I learned to cut by hand mm-hmm. because we didn't have uh, a machine. So I've got a machine now and so I cut them. I'm actually getting my daughter brushed up on her skills because it's a skill for life. So when you're polishing them and you're seeing them, it's almost like you're undressing them and you're seeing these beautiful colours come to life and you're the first person visually to ever see this. And it can be a beautiful piece which will end up in Dior or Cartier or Van Cleef. That's where a lot of our opals would end up, the really top-end ones. But they'd never even acknowledge where it came from, which was always a real rural dig for me Mm. but every day you'd go to work and you might be struggling and you might go five or six or seven years and not finding anything and then you find something one day and we say you go from the shithouse to the penthouse overnight amazing yeah i don't like selling them which i i'm actually connected to them yes i think when you're cutting the opals you need to yield as much of this because it takes five million years for mother nature to actually, I wouldn't say grow, but develop these colours. Now, we're the only place in the world where you get the black opal on the nobbies, which are the, the round formations. The only place in the world. America doesn't have it, all these other flash places. In the middle of nowhere, we've got the rarest gemstone on Earth. It's star probably 10,000 times. I don't know the exact figures, but 10,000 times more rarer than a diamond. Yet diamonds are up here and opals are here. So for me, the opals are a stone where you look at them and what other gemstone can you get? The red of the ruby, the blue of the um, sapphire, the green of an emerald, all into one, which is why they call it the queen of the gems. It's got every single colour into it. It's naturally made. There's no other way that can make it. It takes, you know, five million years to make one little piece. So when you get a piece like this, you know how super rare it is. Geologists don't even know how it was formed. It's just a freak of nature. Mm, it's just Because this used to be part of the great inland 
well, we're actually on the edges or the tributaries of the great inland sea back in Gondwana land and so in the Artesian Basin. So the water coming up where, where this huge big inland sea was, it used to be one kilometre above us and it's eroded down over the years. So that's why you find shells and things like that embedded in it. It would seep through, through weathering, pick up the sandstone and form these silica spheres. And just the way it's formed is just an absolute freak. So when you find these things, it's just not like it's like finding something which is a gift from Mother Earth, which is so rare that we happen to come along in this timeline of the whole um, uh, evolution of the Earth because our machines can only go to 100 feet and opal is found between 2 and 80 feet. Wow. So we just happen to freak it out that we're lucky enough to do it. Yeah, I just, I need to do it. I love it. I'm very passionate about it. Well, I, I didn't want to talk too much either about the Opal Hunters program, but I do think that, you know, even for myself, because I have some opals, I have an opal ring that my grandmother gave me and um, I've worn it, but I didn't you know, I love it and I think it's beautiful. But I think that since I've been watching the program and since I've been, you know, connecting with you and watching your stories and learning more and more about it, I think my love for it has grown like exponentially because I'm now appreciating and I think that that's probably what it's doing is it's educating people and making them appreciate more what goes into it, what you have, how special that is. Yeah. It is so super special, but behind that as well, like he's talking about touching the opal hunters, is that you've got to be, you know, you've got to be a six-pack short of a spew, let's just put it that way, to be out here and doing it because I had an uncle who went 25 years and didn't get one piece of black potch. Oh, well, that was going to be my next question. So they're hard to find, right? Oh, rare as rocking horse shit. Absolutely. They, they are so hard to find. If you are lucky enough to be blessed with a patch because I think there's got to be luck in there mm -hmm. as well. There's a lot of skill, don't get me wrong, but we we develop our own machines, we make our own machines, we build our own machines, we operate our own machines. If we then, so I'm a prospector by heart. Um, I go underground digging with the boys, but that's, you know, that's where their talent lies. I prefer to find a whole new opal field and I then get to name it, which is pretty special. It is pretty special. It's very special. You know, we've had a, had a few fields that I've named, which I've been very proud of. And then so it will be lovely one day, like you said, if you had the story from your grandmother's ring to then have the story back to the miner. Absolutely, yeah. Because that's where I want to really push my business for a value add, like even NFTs, I'm looking into them at the moment and putting opals under that so then they can timeline it back to the person because I think that adds a story to it. You're not just buying a cold, well, I wouldn't say cold, but when you go in and you look at a diamond, it's a diamond and you go, oh, that's sparkly, but really there's no real love in it. When you look at opals, my, my biggest pet hate is when I hear, oh, it's bad luck. Oh, I hate that too. It's only bad luck because De Beers, one of the most brilliant, marketing strategists talking mm -hmm. business in the world came up with this tagline that you know diamonds are a girl's best friend oh they actually first off they went into the engagement stone and that's where they wanted to really push it but how could they beat out their competition well we were and we are their competition because De Beers is one corporation 
one company. Whereas the miners out here, you can go mining. I can go mining. My next door neighbour goes mining. But what people put value on their own opens is their own business. There's no uniformed pricing mm-hmm. structure and that's where things become difficult. It was De Beers, the bastards, who said, oh, we'll just say that it's bad luck because it's superstition. So you're not coming out saying opals are bad. You're coming out saying, so it was brilliantly done. So they weren't coming out targeting us individually or each group or saying, oh, Kelly Tischler's opals are bad luck or this one or that one. They said all opals are bad luck. So getting back to when you walk into a store, when you walk into a store and you see a diamond, what a lot of people don't realise is uh, from the, um, the the diamond head group, uh, the World Institute of Diamonds, whatever they're called, the, one of their leading guys have actually come out and said less than 16% of all diamonds are mm. ethically sourced. So the ethically sourced responsible mining came off the back of a movie called yes, Blood yeah. Diamond and they actually exposed what was going on and it's quite disgusting what goes on. So... When you go in and you buy a diamond, you don't go, well, is this ethically mined or where did this come from? Um, some of them would be lucky to even put yeah. a country on it. When you walk in, you buy an opal and you go, oh, that's an opal. It, in itself, it is cold because it's cold to touch, but there's also a coldness to it because you're not getting the story behind it. You're not getting who found it. You're not getting who cut it. Why did they cut it like that? And to me, it's like taking a jewel out of the outback and not even acknowledging yeah. where it comes from. So I think there's there's a lot to be worked on there. So, Kel, obviously opals are your passion. So, you know, how did you turn or do you feel lucky to have been able to turn your passion into your job? Like you said before, it's your life. Because some people don't find that. Uh, yeah, I have been... Very, very fortunate. Um, I was given this question not long ago and I think it sort of sums up exactly what I feel about what I do. Um, basically, they said, what would you do if you won $10 million in lotto? I said, I'd do exactly the same as I'm doing today. I would not change my life at all. I would probably put some money into marketing and getting the word out there. So for me, when I wake up every day, I'm filled with this sense of yoo-hoo, like I don't care if I find nothing, it's the fact that I'm out and I'm free and I'm really living what I believe is my purpose with Opal. And, you know, people can say, oh, yeah, that's okay if you find Opal and you've got money and whatever. I've seen both sides. We've been many years without anything, so you just roll up your sleeve, you get some extra work done. But if you're not happy doing what you're like what you're passionate about and it's got to be a passion because that's going to be the time that'll pull you through when you're feeling like crap because it's not all rainbows and chocolates and fucking unicorns bouncing around the place it's going to be hard work so if you don't find what you're passionate about and what you're doing you will struggle in making a dollar yeah so at the end of the day does it come down to what you're doing is you know everyone goes yeah yeah can i get all that airy fairy stuff but i've got to pay my bills totally get that but if you're miserable and you hate it you're not a fucking treat you haven't got your roots down move yeah every day you get up you have an opportunity to change the dialect the tone every part of your life you've got that opportunity every day i wake up i'm like please yeah okay let's go and find something 
Which I get home, sun goes down. If I don't find anything, yeah. But you know what? I had a, I loved what I do. Yeah. And that's what will push you through. And I feel like the lockdown has really constricted and tightened a lot of people. So I've been spending a little bit more time <laughs> out bush. <laughs> so I was a little bit flat and I was really struggling creatively. So I've got my little Facebook page and I've got some love. I've, I've, I've got a lovely little group or what they call a tribe and I'm all about I don't want to get into the political side of what's going on in the world but I'm all about love and kindness and put yourself out there so I create I did a challenge a seven-day challenge I said can you please jump on and it's the I made it page and it could be anything I said I'm not talking all you you know flash jewelers I'm talking about you got out of bed today and you made your bed yes you made it woohoo Cheer, celebrate. You made a meal. You made a couple. You know, it had to be the little things that people were actually doing and feeling proud about because there was a lot of negativity and a lot of dense energy and that sort of thing as well. So this little page, yeah, it's got 700 members. It's great. I've had women now who've inboxed me and said, I've sold so many things. I've never had the confidence yeah. to do it. I said, that's what you need to do. You don't need to do the brand or that. You just need to be seen. Yes. And I said, well, that's the most validating thing in a business is that people see you and go, oh, wow, that's different. Like, So the thing was to get people to do it. Now, I've had so many people coming up to Christmas. I'm like, yeah, put your stuff out there. People are posting and actually selling stuff. They said, I've never had the confidence to sell. And I thought, you know what? I made that challenge about me because my news feed was full of people just at each other's throat with this virus Mm -hmm. and people were frustrated. And for a whole week and even now, my whole feed is just, beautiful things to see yeah oh that's so lovely that's the thing so it doesn't even have to be like you said your friend started that business four days that started that business and then grew it but it's it's the intention it's the energy behind your business which eventually will shine through absolutely the truer you are to yourself and to your purpose the more it spreads exactly but that's another thing that i find really difficult is dealing with social media is, you, you know, it takes time, as you know, out of everything else. Yes. Now you've got these things. So I wake up in the morning, I feel this, I've got to check everybody. I've got to get back to everybody. I've got to make sure that I do this video. I've got to make sure I do this and that. And, oh, you know, oh, if it goes viral, this is going to happen. And, it, you know, there's so much pressure. I think the, the layer now and the dynamics of online is adding anxiety which is I've just stepped right back and gone, Mm. it's making me feel not well, so what am I going to do? Well, at the moment I'm trying to find what I'm going to do and that's okay. And that was going to be one of my questions is do you think social media is a help or a hindrance? Do I think social media is a help? I think it's both. Yeah, me too. It's a fine line. It's a very fine line. It does add layers of anxiety when you have mm-hmm. work and followings and everything like that and, you you know, you you spend this whole time watching these people and, you know, you've got to hustle and you've got to, like, I just feel that that level of, of intensity is really hard to maintain, almost impossible, yeah. especially if you are also mother, wife, cleaner, all that sort of stuff. I can't show that I'm human. 
I've got to show I'm a super mum and I do this and I do that and my wife and I go out and I do this and it's got to be beautifully. I've got to have a, a font to match and I've got to have a filter and I'm thinking as soon as you're putting filters over it, you're filtering what it actually is. Mm-hmm. But then on this side, do people want to really see everything without a filter? The, the, the whole world and social media is a perfect example of it. It's so filtered that I really try and talk to my daughters mostly rather than my son, but, but, but even my son as well, to my daughters to say that it's the highlight reel. Mm. I think it's really important that we teach our kids that it's not real because it really isn't real. And we didn't have to deal with this when we were younger. Um, and that bit is scary. But there is that flip side of it where you're reaching customers and, um, you know, for me, other businesses or for you, other businesses, wholesale and that sort of thing that you wouldn't have the opportunity to reach if you didn't have it. So I think there's just got to be that real fine line where you realize that it's fake. Like there's a level of it that just is fake. Or even if it's, even if it's not fake, there's a part that people aren't willing to show. And, you know, I posted a little video of my kids yesterday and I reckon though, I could probably count like maximum 10 times that I've shared my kids' faces on my Instagram because, you know, it's just not important. But then I see other people posting photos of their kids on the toilet. Like I just think that that's unacceptable. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I I never post pictures of my kids. My kids, when they were old enough, my son said me don't post and I never have. I said, well, that's fair enough. Um, Their birthdays, I'm allowed to put a post up on their birthdays. Most times I don't. Mm. because I think, oh, well, they know I said happy birthday. So, you know, but you're right. Look, I, I like to say, like, people try to put a bow tie on a turd. Mm. Um, trying to make it a bit more fluffier and a bit more, you know, oh, it's not that bad. We'll just put a nice little pretty bow tie and everyone will be distracted and they'll see, they'll see that and they won't see the whole story. Yeah. So, I said to my son, and we, we ha- and he's almost like my counsellor. He keeps me at a nice, even keel. My husband, I can get away with anything, so he keeps me pretty much centred. And he said to me, what do you want to be? He said, if you've got a brand. I said, yeah, but I don't want a brand. I said, I just want to be unapologetically me. He said, well, do it. He mm. said, you'll either lose followers or people will follow you. And I said, Jet, my whole life is not about followers. No. It's not. And Tori, who's from the small business community, has been doing a little bit of this lately that, you know, losing followers is not necessarily a bad thing. They're almost doing you a favor because if they're there and they don't actually like what you're doing and they're not engaging in what you're doing, then they're not helping your business be seen by other people. The engagement and the people like liking or commenting is what helps Instagram to show your business to other people. So if you are losing followers because they don't like what you're doing, they're actually doing you a favor because the ones that stay there and the ones that like you are the ones that are engaging. So, you know, off you go. If you don't want to be part of the drive, get on your bike. Exactly. And I I think that, like you said, whether it's a hindrance as well, it's almost like the measuring stick that we have now. Yes. It's like, oh, okay. But people realise, you know, a lot of them start at zero. I have a lovely friend that I've noticed who keeps going up in friend followers on Instagram by 10,000 increments. I'm pretty sure there's some bot sitting over there in Russia has got all of that. And I'm like, I don't actually measure any level. Actually, I don't. 
honestly, any level of my of of, of my self worth and who I am, or whatever you want to call it, by how many followers or how much engagement I get. I appreciate if somebody's actually spent the time and typed me a response. I think I'll put it out there. That's the least that I can do. Yeah. Any further than that, that's totally fine. But I struggle with the sell, the salesy thing. Yes. I've given away so much stuff. I don't know what it. I don't know whether it's it's something in 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 my psyche which thinks that if I charge for it, I'm a bad. I, yeah. It's it, it, there's definitely something. There's a block there with me with selling it. So I just accumulate it and give it away. And I think to myself, yeah, well, you know what? It is probably worth some money, Kel. Yeah. So why are you doing that? So that's where I am in uh, and business and life and everything is in here. Mm-hmm. So for me, how I get out of here is I go out there. So I recently had to start again from zero. I recently lost my whole entire social media following and it was shithouse, but – what happened? Somebody hacked my account and they were using my business credit oh. card to post ads for whatever rubbish they were on. So I lost my whole entire following. But yes, no, I had to start right back from zero. But, you know, in true Sarah fashioned, I had to find some positives in that. And a couple of positive things for me were the first thing was that I'd obviously, I really had made those connections because people came out in force. I would have had, when I finally, I took a couple of weeks to decide whether or not I could or couldn't do it again. And when I finally decided that I could actually do it again, and yes, I'm not letting those bastards win. I'm going to start this page again. People came out in force. I would have had my page shared a hundred times. And it wasn't just from followers, it was from other businesses. And, you know, that really, you know, made me think, yep, I did a good job with these relationships because there's no way that they would share you if they, you know, weren't invested in what you were doing. And the other part for me was, you know, with my eye injury is that my followers were just growing and growing and growing. And when you think of, you know, I had like around 7,000 followers and when I – would think about, you know, I always wear my glasses because I was worried about my eye injury. And when my follower count went back to zero, I thought now's the time because when it was, you know, 7,000, I was thinking, how do I just take my glasses off and address this thing that I've been hiding from everybody for such a long time? And I really did feel the weight you know, off my shoulders because I actually don't care. It's just, I do care, but it it's just part of who I am. But it had gotten to the point where it was something that like I, you know, I had to address it. Whereas when I got to go back to zero and for authenticity's sake, I'm authentic if I'm chatting to you or I'm chatting to my friends or whatever else, it doesn't bother me. It is just part of who I am. But I, it, I feel a lot better now that I just dealt with that because it did feel like I was hiding something. Well, finally, where can the listeners find you if they want to have a look at your beautiful stones or your beautiful jewellery? Where can they find you? Yes, I do have a website, but I'm pretty slack. <laughs> so anyway, it's um, <laughs> I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. It's kellytishleropals.com. Um, but I'm mostly on Facebook. I'm trying to build on Instagram. So I'm just Kelly Tischler, Opal Queen, which I really did being called. But anyway, I went with it because that's what the Opal Hunters named me. So I thought, oh, oh, well, 
<laughs> it's all people yell out up the street, Bogan Queen, Opal Queen. I go, Bogan Queen, thank you. <laughs> I'll put all of this in the show notes, but Kel, thank you so much for your time today. I have loved chatting to you and look, it probably won't be long until I come and see you in Lightning Ridge. Fantastic. Come and stay down home. I'm getting together an Airbnb, which is really beautiful. I've got all my peacock. I've I've got a new peacock now called Paddy Quills after Paddy Mills. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I got him when the the Boomers won their gold medal, so I named him Paddy Quills. So he's He's been decorated with medals. He will be. today's wrap-up snap quiz. Yes, Brian. Creating a business around your passion is what we're talking about, yeah? Yes, Brian. All right. So, question number one. Is it a good idea to turn your passion into a business? Um, yes. Okay. Well done. <laughs> if you can, for all the reasons that we talked about beforehand, yeah, if you can. Do you think everyone is passionate about their businesses. No, I do not. I think well, they must have been passionate at some point. No, I don't think so. No, I reckon there's people out there that are Subway. not. Subway. So people who started Subway. Would have they been passionate? Well, they were obviously passionate about sandwich About making. sandwiches. Mm, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, potentially if a business has been handed down... Uh, from mm. then maybe the child is not passionate about it or if somebody has made a career choice and they've studied a particular subject and then they've thought, oh, it'll be a great idea to start a business because this is what I'm trained in. That yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that they're passionate about it. Yeah. That also doesn't mean that it'd be a bad business. Mm-hmm. It just, I just don't think everyone's passionate about their business and I don't think that that's bad. Mm. Not everyone can be as passionate as Kenny was about toilets. <laughs> he is a fictional character. Oh, he is 100% real life. Oh, my God. You sound like Matt Johns. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Kel. I did. I loved this chat. Next week, we'll be talking to Prue Kelly from Hello Hattie, and I'm really excited about that one as well. I love all of the episodes. If you want to get in touch with us, give us any feedback, ask us any questions, please make sure you jump onto Facebook and join our group, All Things Small Biz Family. And we also love to give businesses a shout out. So please make sure you jump on there and tell us about your small business as well. Thanks for listening to All Things Small Biz. You can get more tips and find out about all the latest stuff we've got going on at the All Things Small Biz Instagram page or join our Facebook group, All Things Small Biz Family. We'd love you to follow our social media pages or you can jump onto the website www.allthingsmallbizpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening.